Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up no matter what. I absolutely love these stories and you can't get enough of them. This is why I believe Never Ever Give Up Hope has become so popular. is because people are always looking for stories of encouragement, stories that they can relate to, and that's what this show's about. My guests have survived everything from extreme poverty, abuse, depression, disease, the ability to have to fight just to survive, and they are overcomers. Every single one of them has a phenomenal story. And what I also appreciate and what I have learned over the years that I have done this show is that those people who have survived a lot give back a lot. They want to share not only what happened to them and how they got through it, but they like to give back to their society in whatever form that takes. Because when you've survived something and your hope is built up, you want to share that. And that's what this show's about. And so I thank you listeners, because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. So I really appreciate it. And if you have a story that you want to share on this show, then please contact me. There's no end to stories of encouragement that we need to hear. We are now number one in the subject of hope on Google in over 140 countries. And so again, it just shows you that people need this and they want to hear it. With me today, I have a gentleman by the name of Terry Tucker. Now, Terry has had many challenging jobs. During his career, one of those jobs included a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Of course, that always has the, the interest right there. It's peaked. Like, everybody <laughs> wants to know what kind of, you know, what did you do? Who did you know? So I really appreciate that, and that tells me he's got to be a pretty special character. His greatest challenge, however, was not in his career, but it was a personal one, and that's what we're going to discuss today. His story of overcoming this incredible challenge, I absolutely guarantee is going to encourage you on many levels. I have read through his story more than once, and every time I come away taking something more. So fasten your seatbelt, guys, and be ready to hear a story that's not only going to touch your heart, but it's going to encourage you. Terry's an author. He's a motivational speaker. He also has a blog called Motivational Check. 
and he has daily posts of inspiration. As I was reading through it, I thought, oh, that one's good. And then the next, oh, that one's good. It's like you can't write them all down. So (laughs) what that means is you have to go look at his blog every day and get that that daily uh, inspirational quote. So I thank you. Welcome, Terry. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having me on Never Ever Give Up Hope. It's a pleasure to be with you. You betcha. So let's start with your physical challenge that you went through when you were in high school. What happened? So the the mental preparation actually for my personal battle against cancer began when I was in my teens. I was a fairly decent basketball player. I'm six foot eight, so I, I was six foot five when I was 14 years old. Oh my goodness. And yeah, it, it was hard finding shoes and my mother was always running to the store to get milk and, and fruits and vegetables and things like that. But I was I was lucky enough to play on the varsity team when I was a freshman in high school. But the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I tore a cartilage in my knee and had to have surgery to remove it. This was a time shortly before arthroscopic surgery was available, so I have the large zipper scar on the outside of my right knee. Unfortunately, the the wound became infected and I developed a, a high fever. And it was speculated that because of this infection, that scar tissue didn't grow in the area where the cartilage was removed, so that when I went back playing basketball, I experienced that bone-on-bone discomfort. Because of this trauma to the bones, my knee continually swelled and it it got to the point where I was having the fluid drained almost every couple weeks and my surgeon he was puzzled he's like I I don't understand why you're having this and so that resulted in a second exploratory operation the summer between my sophomore and junior year in high school unfortunately the outcome of that surgery was the removal of 25 pieces of my bone that had chipped away some of them were as large as pieces of rice after the i know it it was it was horrible after the surgery i was i was placed in a cast from my hip to my ankle and told that my basketball playing days were over and that i might not walk normally again Hmm. I, i i was in this cast for the entire summer with nothing to do but sit around and wait and wonder what the future held but again, it was kind of my first time where you know I refused to accept the doctor's prediction, and I knew I had to at least try to get back on the basketball court. Were you scared? To death. I, I mean, I was I was a kid. I mean, I was 15, 16 years old. I, I I had only known success at that point in my life through basketball, and to have that potentially be taken away from me terrified me. Terrified me. So when the when the doctor removed the cast. Uh, shortly before school started, I was faced with a thigh muscle, a quadricep, that had significantly atrophied from months of inactivity. I mean, they, oh, they don't do this stuff now, but you know, back in the 1970s, mm-hmm. that was the, the way they handled things. So after my doctor examined the wound and, and he proclaimed the surgery a success, he handed me a piece of paper, and, and it had exercises described with, in words and drawings. And he shook my hand and said, you know, good luck. And as he was leaving the room, you know, I began peppering him with questions. You know, how, how many of these exercises should I do? How often should I do them? What happens if my knee swells? And his reply was intended to specifically address my knee rehab, but it was profound in its far-reaching impact on my life. Unfortunately, it took until I was pretty much an adult before I fully understood what he was trying to tell me. His response was short and to the point. He was a no-nonsense, cut-to-the-chase kind of guy. And he told me to listen to my body for guidance. You know, he said that I should perform the exercises 
as much as I wanted, as long as there was no pain and swelling. But he said, you know what? Listen to your body. It will tell you what to do. So that's what I did. I went home and I began doing these exercises three times a day, every day. And as my leg grew stronger, I increased the amount of weight and I increased the repetitions. And then once I had built the thigh muscle back, I was able to start walking. And then walking progressed to jogging and jogging led to running. <laughs> but the one constant in all this was my mind, my brain. Every day I had to battle my mind for literally supremacy because my brain was allowing doubt and fear to creep into my psyche. It left me wondering if I would ever make it back on the basketball court. It filled me with all kinds of uncertainty because my mind knew my fears, it knew my vulnerabilities, right. and it knew my weaknesses. But by listening to my body, like my doctor had said, and struggling to stay positive when my mind was putting that doubt and anxiety in my brain, I was eventually able to play basketball again. And despite a third minor knee surgery, I received a scholarship to play NCAA Division One basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I told the people to fasten their seatbelts. Now you, now you have an idea why. All right. So, what happened in 2012? So, my greatest challenge, my greatest challenge in my life began in 2012 when I was diagnosed with this rare form of melanoma that presented on the bottom of my left foot. By the the time the cancer was detected, it had metastasized to the lymph nodes in my groin. Because my cancer was so rare, there's only about 1,900 to 2,000 people every year diagnosed with this form of melanoma. It was recommended that I be treated at at the world-renowned MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Fortunately, our family lived in Houston at the time, and it was only a 10-minute drive from my house. So I was very lucky because people come from all over the world Mm -hmm. to to be treated at MD Anderson. I had two surgeries to remove the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my groin, and then I had a skin graft to close the wound where the tumor had been removed. After I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of interferon to help disease from coming back. My doctor described it as kicking the can down the road. For me, interferon was just a nasty, horrible drug. I I took those weekly injections Um, every week for four years and seven months uh, before the medication became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a body temperature of 108 degrees. And that is usually not compatible with being alive. No. Fortunately, yeah, I had expert medical care that that saved my life. But the interferon gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. I lost 50 pounds during the therapy. I was constantly nauseous and fatigued and chilled. My ability to taste food because of the drug diminished. I could only differentiate between something that was sweet or salty. I I couldn't tell if it was steak or broccoli or, or anything like that. And my body continually ate. And this misery went on for 1,660 days. But the one thing I learned during all my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. You can either succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. And and that's, I chose the latter. I I want your listeners to understand that there are days, there were days that I felt so poorly and was in so much agony that I literally prayed to die. I just wanted out of this life. But Each day was a struggle to use my mind 
to override the apathy and the distress that my body was feeling. Well, that was a lot to swallow, but it didn't end there. Now, you also had to deal with the amputation of your left foot. Tell us about that. Unfortunately, the cancer ended up reemerging, and I was initially put on some biologic medication that was in- incredibly uh, difficult on my body as well as the interferon, but was designed to um, do nothing to the cancer, but sort of take off the brakes on my immune system so that my immune system could could conquer that. Unfortunately, that that didn't work for me, and my only option ended up being the amputation of most of my left foot, which occurred in January of 2018. I was originally scheduled to have a below-the-knee amputation, but because I am not diabetic and I was in relatively good health, there was a um, foot and ankle specialist at the University of Colorado who I was sent to literally three days before my below-the-knee amputation to see if it was possible for him to basically take everything in front of the ankle and leave me my ankle and my heel. And he looked at all the scans and and the MRIs and the imaging, and and he said, you know, I I think I can. However, I'm going to have to tell you that it's going to depend on when we get in there, whether we have clean margins around the incision. So I I went into surgery hoping for a, uh, what was called a transmetatarsal, I can't even say it either, amputation. But I, I knew that there was a strong possibility that I could wake up with a below-the-knee amputation. So I found out that after the surgery that my, my surgeons made an initial cut and took it to pathology, and the pathologist did his thing and said, you know, it looks clean. It looks like the margins are clean. But they went back, and they're like, you know what? Just to be safe, we're going to take more of the foot. We're going to go back farther. And fortunately for me, I was glad they did that because that initial cut was loaded with melanoma and I would have literally been back in surgery a few weeks later having a below the knee amputation. So they went back further and did what's called a Liz Frank amputation. And so now I have a, I have a heel, I have an ankle, but everything in front of that uh, is gone. And certainly that's much better than a below the knee amputation, but it's still, you know, it still took quite a bit of getting used to and learning balance and how to walk again and and it, it's amazing the number of people like you, know, you don't look like you had an amputation it's like well i have a shoe on what, what's that supposed to look exactly. like exactly you know but yeah. well you don't have a cane or you don't have a crutch and, and i mean that's that was a lot of physical therapy to learn how to do that all over again let's step back here for a minute because one of the things that we haven't discussed is your age now you your life was still going on and your life was was you were young. I was. Okay. When, when that first happened, you talked a little bit of how, how you um, were coping emotionally. My question to you at this point is, as a young man, what did you see your future holding for you? <sighs> that, that's an excellent question. I, I In all honesty, I, I didn't think of the future. I was pretty much living day to day. And because of the, the the interferon and and the adverse side effects that that drug caused me, I really was isolated, um, and that that really bothered me. I, I mean, people that I thought were my friends, kind of right, right. gradually moved away, and I, I and that scared me. And I mean, fortunately, I have a outstanding wife, who 
and I can't tell you the number of times I begged her to just put me in a nursing home because she is she's not a big woman and and so for you know especially when I had the amputation I, I was so worried that if I fell right. or, or something like that she, there's no way she could have gotten me off the floor and things like that so I was I, I wanted I still wanted to think about other people you know I, I knew I was going through this but I also knew this disease was affecting you know there's sort of that ripple effect of, of, a, of those waves moving out and affecting my daughter you know who was in high school when I was diagnosed and and my wife and and my mom who's still alive and my brothers and and, and things like that but it, it was it was scary and I really I didn't see a future I knew I just had to stay plugged in to today because I I, I knew that if as I said my mind was constantly attacking it was constantly putting fear and doubt and doubt in my mind and I couldn't have that I had to stay positive in order to give my body what it needed instead of my body basically saying this is what I want I want to just lay here and 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 not do anything well I felt better when I got up and I tried to move even though I felt lousy the more I tried to do the better I felt but my body was like no I just want to lay on the couch so it was it was a constant battle between my physical side and my emotional side and I don't think fighting cancer or anything else would have been nearly as difficult if I hadn't had all that doubt and anxiety coupled with the pain and suffering. The pain and suffering was easy compared to the the doubt and the fear and the anxiety. I'm really glad I asked you that question as well because you're addressing several things in what you just said that are very important. One is that very often when we go through different forms of trauma, we lose friends. Right. And a lot of that has to do with people don't know how to cope. They don't know what to say. It's like when when someone dies in the family and no one knows what to say, so they stay away. And it's really sad. And I hope that shows such as this one and people like yourself are inspiring all of us to not turn away but to rather go closer and to be there to encourage. You don't have to say anything. A hug goes a long way. And I know that you have thought about that probably many times along those lines because we don't need to run from other people's trauma. We need to run to them to support them. And I know that's what you are doing and I appreciate what you said there. And you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, I I, I was able to reconnect with people sort of, you know, down the road. And, and I asked them, I'm like, hey, what happened to you? And they were like, I was afraid I would yeah, say something yeah, wrong or yeah. afraid I would say something. And, I, you know, I used to tell them, you can ask me anything you want. I don't care how ugly or, you know, right. scary it is. Ask me. I'll talk about it. I don't have any problem with that. But not being able to talk to people about what I was yes, feeling was yes. much more scary. Also, you are the perfect example of being a victor instead of a victim. And Absolutely. That, that comes through attitude, and that's the message that I know that you want to get across. But your story's not done yet, so let's continue. <laughs> so what happened in 2016? There were a couple times that I remember feeling helpless. And since this show is about hope, I, I want to explain this a little bit. The, the first was in 2016 when I had been on those weekly interferon injections for almost five years, and they had as I described, wrecked my body. My oncologist and I had been discussing stopping the interferon and being monitored with an annual PET scan. I was five months away from being deemed cancer-free and was so excited to 
to get back among the living and resume a life that, as I said, I was forced into isolation due to the adverse effects of the interferon. So with three months to go, 90 days before I would hit that cancer-free mark, a routine scraping of the area around my skin graft showed the melanoma had returned and, and I was literally right back in the exact same position where I was in 2012. And, and the further testing confirmed that not only was it back in the exact same spot, but it had spread to the bones in my, my fourth and fifth toes. To, to say I was beyond devastated by this news doesn't describe my feelings at all. The interference had taken so much out of me, both mentally and physically, right. that, I, that I wasn't sure I could go through more surgeries and chemotherapy. I mean, it took me a long time before I was able to prepare myself mentally to get back in that fight and attack the disease. Unbelievable. And then something else happened in 2017. Several things unfortunately happened in, in 2017, which was really the second time I I was really at my wit's end. I, I had completed a final round of the biologic medicine that had been recommended to try before surgery, which as I said earlier, didn't work. Um, and it left me exhausted. And shortly after that, I was diagnosed with a disease that I had never heard of. It was pseudo-gout, when my right knee, which was the one who had had, that had had all the surgeries, swelled to the size of a cantaloupe. And the, the fluid in the knee contained calcium crystals, which were acting like miniature knives and right, stabbing right. all the inside of my joint. And then that was followed up by, I woke up in the middle of the night with tremendous pressure in my chest and difficulty breathing, and eventually I started vomiting, which made it even harder to breathe. I was convinced I was having a heart attack. My wife ended up taking me to the emergency room, and I ended up, it was, it was not a heart attack, fortunately. It was a reaction to the biologic medicine that, that I was given, which caused a blood clot in my lung and fluid around the sac of my heart. And, and I remember feeling so depleted mentally and physically laying on the gurney in the emergency room and I had tears rolling down my cheeks and I just begged my wife to let me die. I, I was like, I just want to get out of this body that just seems to be continually attacking me. And it's at, it was at that time, and I don't know why, why this happened, but it was at, in that moment that I remembered reading an article written uh, about the owner of the Atlanta Hawks and the National Basketball Association who paid a Navy SEAL, probably one of the toughest group of men in the world, to come and live with his family for a month and teach them to use their mind to do more than their bodies ever thought they could do. And, and part of this training was what they called the 40% rule. And this rule says that if your body is telling you that you're through, that you just can't go on, that you are really only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% left in reserves. And I, I recall laying in the ER with doctors and nurses and, and techs doing all kinds of tests and sticking me with needles. And as horrible as I felt, I remember blocking everything out and, and just going to that place where I was telling myself, You've got, more to, you've got more to give, you can do more. And even though my body was declaring that I was at the end of my rope and I just wanted to let go and die, I forced my mind to basically inform my body, hey, tie a knot in the end of that rope and hang on. Realizing that I had more left, I had that 60% left in reserve, literally saved my life by forcing my mind and body to draw on those reserves 
that I still had. We all have those stockpiles. We all have those reserves waiting to be used if we ever get to the point we think we're done. And 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 those reserves don't have to be a life-threatening illness. I mean, they could be somebody who's trying to lose weight, who's tempted by a piece of cake. You know, you know what? I'm just going to eat that. No, you're not. You've got more. You've got more. Or you know, or student. Hey, I, I got two more hours of studying, but I, I'm really tired. I think I'm going to go to bed. No, draw on those reserves. Finish your studying. Get a good grade on that test. I can speak from personal experiences that even when you don't think you can move forward, you still have so much more to give to yourself. Well, needless to say, Terry, you're an inspiration. And back to what I said earlier about the victim versus the victor mode. It's so quick that we can go into the victim mode. And what when you were talking about the battle, that's where the battle is is not to be the victim but to think of yourself as the victor and that you can do you can push yourself you can move forward and that's your message so let's talk a little bit about your message which I believe you are now taking into your book now is your book going to be a memoir it is a memoir and I I am I'm having some difficulty publishing it because what I'm finding out is that memoirs especially of cancer, uh, tend not to be taken seriously by publishers unless you're famous or have a large platform. I am not famous and I do not have a large platform. So it, this is, it's been a little difficult to, I've got an agent right now that actually is reading it and I'm hoping something will come of that and he'll be able to pitch it to a publishing company and we'll see what happens. Okay, all right. Do you have a title for it? Back Amongst the Living. Oh, like it. Perfect. Now, in the meantime, you've got your blog happening. So tell us about that. I, I wanted, you know, you, you come to a point in your life and, and you realize that when my cancer reemerged for a second time, I am considered at, at high risk for the melanoma reemerging. And if it keeps coming back, eventually there's going to come a point where it very well may end my life. And and I'm okay with that. I, I'm, I've never been afraid to die. I, I, I believe in God. I believe I'm going to a better place. But I wanted to do something to, to, give, to give back, to, to try, try to help people make their lives a little better. And, and I remember after having the amputation, laying in bed at night, kind of looking at the ceiling and, and saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do now? What, what, where should I go? And and I was never, I remember an, an old Lily Tomlin joke where she used to say that when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. And so, you know, I, I never had, a, you know, a, a conversation with God, but I was really, what do I do? Where do I go? And, and it was amazing the number of people who told me, you know what, you ought to write a book about your experience. And I kept dismissing it. Like, okay. you know what, I, I'm, I'm not a writer. I, I'm, you know, this, that's not my background. And like, and it kept coming. So eventually I got to the point where it was like, okay, so I started to write the book. And then it's like, well, yeah, okay, I'm writing the book, but what else can I do? So I, I started my website, which is, is Motivational Check, to, to help others overcome whatever is preventing them from, from moving forward in their lives. And, you know, the, the key is to embrace the, the uncomfortable times that we face in our lives, not to run away from them. And when I say, you know, I, so much I talked about the the conquering myself, the conquering my mind when when I was facing cancer and, and going through all the therapy, you know, that involved that war that my brain was waging 
during my cancer journey. You know, fighting cancer would not have been as difficult if my mind wasn't constantly attacking and, you know, and putting those doubts and fears into my thoughts. You know, this anxiety really caused me to have to continue to marshal those resources to beat back that negativity um, so that, as I said, you know, I could, I could give my body what it needed instead of what it wanted. For me, that mental battle against doubt and fear that I was experiencing was much more difficult than, than the physical pain of, of, of anything that happened to me during the cancer, including having my foot amputated. You're one of many because a lot of people that I have interviewed have said the exact same thing. It is the mental battle. It's almost like the mental battle you have zero control at the moment and you have to force yourself, right? Is that... Yes, that 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 is absolutely. It. I, I mean, you know, there's a tendency, and I, and I certainly fell into this of, you know, of a blaming and and whining and complaining. Right. But but that doesn't get you anywhere. You know, bad things are going to happen to you along your journey, whatever it is. And as I said, it doesn't have to be something life threatening. Bad things are going to happen. You just need to to forget about those. You know, life will not treat you fair. You just <laughs> need to keep your eye on the goal and keep moving forward and and that's hard to do people you know people want to blame people want to you know say hey this isn't my fault or I mean what no matter what it is you know I, I want to blame my parents or my school or my status right. in life and you know what we are all we were all designed we were all born to live an uncommon and extraordinary life and I said that before and people have kind of taken me to task on it but I always say that it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO of the company or the person who cleans the toilets after everybody leaves. You were still born right. to live an uncommon and extraordinary life. I agree. So, you know, you, you need to kind of put that apathy and, and that victim mentality aside and say, what do I need to do? And, and it's funny because one of the things I've recently started doing is, is I try to treat every person I come in contact with as if they're going to be dead by tomorrow. Interesting. And, yeah, and it's it's a way of, of saying, hey, you know what, yeah, you did something that upset me or, you know, you cut me off in traffic or whatever and, and I could get upset about it. But you know what? You might be dead tomorrow. So why should I get upset with exactly. you Exactly. And it's just a different way of looking at the world. Well, it's no different than sending me flowers now instead of after I'm dead. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what I came to appreciate is that the responsibility for altering your life in whatever means that is, is entirely up to you. You know, whining, complaining, blaming others for your circumstance will not enhance your life. You know, bad things are going to happen. And in, and given that my cancer returned, I, I just wanted, you know, motivational check was really my way of saying, hey, maybe I can make this world a little bit better with the time that I have left on this on, on this planet. I encourage everyone to check in to your blog, Motivational you. Check. Because it's, for one thing, I love it when um, you have just the daily quotes. You know, it's, it's nice to, to read like some of the other things that you have in there that are inspirational as well. But to just take that little and make it your mantra for the day, you know, that little quote or whatever, that's an encouragement. Because no matter where we are in life, we always need encouragement. And to have somebody like yourself, somebody who has gone to hell and back and is still plugging forward, and to have the attitude that you have, that's where people can be encouraged because they can't say, well, you don't know what I've been through. Because, yeah, you do. 
in, in a way, you know, I, I, you said that. I remember that old Winston Churchill quote. You know, if you're going through hell, keep going. Right. You know, and, and you know, and and I've I really helping people has kind of been my purpose since I I, I got cancer. And I, and I recall a quote from Mark Twain who said that the two most important days of our lives are, are the day we are born and the day we figure out why. And and I often ask people this question: Do you have any idea why you were put on this earth? And sometimes I'll, I'll take it a step further and say, you know, do you know why you were born at this time? Why weren't you born 4,000 years ago or, or 25,000 years, you know, in the future? There's a reason that you were born. And that reason involves finding and living your purpose. And we, we, we talked a minute ago about we're all destined to live extraordinary and uncommon lives. The problem is, is that I think most people take an unintentional approach to living and that casual life, their dreams and goals become a casualty of that unplanned living. And during all the years that I've been battling cancer, I've had plenty of time to think about my own death. And after I die, I can't imagine standing in the presence of our creator and being unable to account for the talents and the gifts that I was born with and that I I didn't use to make the world a better place. You know, it's, it's been said that the wealthiest places on earth are the cemeteries because they're areas rich in businesses never started, books never written, relationships never pursued, and dreams never realized. I recall a, a Native American Blackfoot proverb that goes, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. You know. I remember Richard Branson, who started Virgin Airlines and is involved in SpaceX. He's reported to have said that if your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. I always ask people, you know, what are your dreams? What are your ambitions? What are your goals? Finding your why or your purpose is important because it's the reason you were born. And the only way to discover that reason is is to be open to it and search for it with your heart. You're preaching to the choir. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the, re- the reason I say that is because as a speaker myself, what you just said in the last five minutes is what I share constantly. And you've said it so well, and I thank you. Thank you so much for that. It is so important, and I hope that people will re- listen and re-listen. One thank of you. The th- one of the things that I wrote down here was a statement that you made in your bio that you sent me, and I would like to read it. And then if there's anything that you would like to add to that. But it spoke to my heart, and it's kind of a synopsis of what you said today. During my time in law enforcement and over my years of battling cancer, I have seen many people die. I noticed that the people who died peacefully were the ones that were able to find their purpose and live it. Conversely, the people who begged for more time and fought their demise were those who had never done anything with their lives. In many cases, these people never even looked for their purpose. I believe we were all put on this planet for a reason. We were all given unique and important gifts and talents to use to make this world a better place. I wanted to write a book, share my experience of the pain and misery of dealing with cancer, and start my blog in an effort to help others understand. No matter how bad things are, or whatever is stopping them from achieving their purpose, it can be overcome. 
So I thank you for that statement. That is, it speaks volumes. Is there anything else that you want to say in closing, Terry? I just want people to realize that they are so much more than they think there are. And and I, as I described, I, I really, what I learned during this whole cancer experience is that the physical pain and discomfort, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I understand that there are people out there that are in agony with, with whatever they're they're dealing with. But, but I've also understood that the brain or what you think or how you think it is so much more important in overcoming whatever you're facing yeah. than anything else out there. If you can stay positive, if you can move forward, the only the only person who isn't respond or, or the only person who's responsible for your success is you. And, That's right. And, and and when I try, I remember there were in the 1970s. This, I'm going to age myself now. There was an Olympic swimmer who who made a quote she was a gold medal olympic swimmer she said winners think about what they want to happen and losers think about what they don't want to happen <laughs> winners winners can override their brain and focus on the things that they want to occur losers can only focus on the negative aspects of competition and they're not able to see the positive qualities of pursuing a goal or a dream i think most people will never get to where they want to be because they won't stop whining or complaining right. about where they're at. And I, I guess I just, I try to put this into terms that some people can understand. And, and, and I use the concept of, of going to the gym. If you go to the gym and pick up a 10 pound weight and you do 10 curls and you don't stress your muscles, those muscles aren't gonna grow. They're not gonna get any bigger. However, if you go and you pick up a 30 pound weight and you do curls until you can't, you can't do another one, you exhaust your muscles, then your muscles will grow stronger. Those same tactics work with your mind. If you stress your mind by doing the things or embracing the things that are uncomfortable, it will grow and develop and make you a stronger individual. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Terry, you have said so much and I encourage my listeners to not only re-listen to everything you had to say today, but we're you know, make, a, make a note, first of all, to go to Motivational Check and check out Terry Tucker's blog, but also to make a mental note to check out when his book comes out. I'm assuming it's going to be on Amazon. And, I hope so. And we are looking forward to that. You have a phenomenal story. You have a phenomenal attitude. I so appreciate you coming on the show today. You are essentially what this show is about and i thank, thank you. you terry that thank you, you never ever gave up hope thank you carol i appreciate it thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to quitting was never an option carol loves your comments and will respond to each one so please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.